The following program was pre-recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders every weeknight at 6. I'm Rashawn Leak, and tonight Tamrika has a night off. So joining me in our virtual studio is executive producer, Laura Jones. Hey, Rashawn. You know, I am excited to be your official community co-host because it is May the 4th day, Star Wars day. Yes, it is. And tonight we're going all in on May the 4th, a.k.a. Star Wars Day. We have Utah writer Brian Young, host of the Full of Sith podcast and trivia master when it comes to all things Star Wars. Becca Green, she, her, co-chairs Transgender Education Advocates of Utah and has loved Star Wars since before she knew what stars were. She runs a semi-regular war game series about Star Wars Armada called Seconds Before Disaster and loves all things sci-fi. And Eric Nelson of the KRCL Committee for the Perpetual Support of the Jedi. Okay, so I wrote that before he sent me his bio. I could not read it. I could not read it. (laughs) So give us a little Uh, of what Eric wrote. So Eric says, my love of Star Wars has been down and up over the past 40 years since having kids. He's discovered a new way to enjoy Star Wars. Oh, he's been every opening night of every movie since he's been alive and to a handful of Star Wars conventions, including meeting the Billy D. Williams. Woohoo! And um, well, wait, he was dressed as who? And he was dressed as Lobot once and then currently starring in half a dozen shelves of Star Wars action figures. And he showed us earlier he had an eight track copy of Star Wars Galactic Funk. Now, Eric, you're going to have to let me hear that because, I mean, do you even have an 8-track machine to play it? He's been looking for one, right, Eric? Yeah, I, I've got it on CD, too. So All I right, got there we go. Yeah. And then you got a friend joining us yeah, later, too, right? From Jersey, my homegirl, Rachel Rear, a teacher, writer, actor, and sometime aerialist living in Brooklyn, New York, whose first book, A True Crime Memoir, is set to drop February 2022 from Bloomsbury Publishing and Sphere Books out of the UK. So we're going to get into popular culture. I always loved uh, Star Wars versus Star Trek versus Stargate versus whatever is coming out because there's so much good sci-fi. Like The Expanse is one of the shows I've fallen in love with. How about you, Rashawn? I'm, you know, I'm old school. Like I give me, uh, give me an old school t- Star Trek. Like I find myself every couple of years, I'll go through them. I'm taking my kids through the Star Wars. So, you know, right. And we when we go through all the Marvel universe, we're really uh, we tend to nerd out a little bit in the mm-hmm. in the leak house. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's all things sci fi over here. Is Joe, your wife, in on that, too? And she, she's, uh, you know, I mean, she's a little more uh, serious, we'll just say. Well, she likes the nonfiction. Yeah. Well, I love to use Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, the Marvel universe to discuss the difference between fantasy and reality. And at the same time, when I look at the history of science fiction, you know, it's got a lot of shortcomings. But then I get into the G. That's like, that's why I'm a Star Trek fan, because there's this kind of altruistic, idealistic, you know, we seek knowledge, we seek to explore. It's got its shortcomings, too. But uh, I love to have that conversation. What do you want out of this panel? Uh, you know, I I'm really interested in seeing that that connection, that parallel between you know life in the sci-fi world and how it presents itself into our everyday world. And mm. you know, I mean, we see that with with a lot of the Star Trek, a lot of the Star Wars, and and a lot of the Marvel. You know, I, yeah. I think so. I'm I'm really interested to hear some of our uh, the experts. Uh, talk about it. You know, I mean, we got a we got a serious got a serious cast of characters right here. <laughs> well, let's do some rallies and resources first. Rashawn, what do you say? Oh, absolutely. OK, absolutely. got a press release from the office of Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall today. They're launching a new city volunteer program, collecting kitchen kits for new permanent housing for those who have experienced long term homelessness. She keeps rolling out these different things for ways for folks to help. You know, there's always a call. uh for donations during the holidays. There was a big call over the course of the pandemic as food banks needed more support to help people that needed support in uh, their food security. So in this one, they're partnering with the Road Home to collect these kitchen supplies for the 65 people who will reside at the Magnolia, a new permanent supportive housing complex for individuals 
who have experienced long-term homelessness. We'll put a link in the show notes as well as rallies and resources, but they're looking for new or gently used items. They can be dropped off at a drive through event on Saturday, June 12th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Magnolia, 165 South, 300 East. Again, we'll put more in the show notes so you can catch up on that. Uh, one more item before a special guest about this bike build I've been telling you about before the show rolled, Rashawn, so stick around for that. But uh, Skiing in Color is a new gallery show opening at Snowbird on May 6th and features works from local artist Lamont Joseph White. It's a collection that depicts an array of black and brown skiers and snowboarders in the snow space from high fashion scenes to joyful portraits. The gallery is open to all, doesn't cost you anything at the Bird's Nest Room, which is on level two of the Snowbird Center. And to celebrate the show, a gallery opening event is planned this Thursday, 2 to 3 p.m., Again, open to the public. Uh, White will be introduced by General Manager and Snowbird President Dave Fields. And then uh, White will host a question and answer session. Uh, You just got to wear a face covering. We'll put it in the show notes so you can check it out as well as a link to the the post Snowbird has up. So you can see some of the images that will be in this skiing and color gallery exhibit up at Snowbird. And then lastly, a special event is happening May 12th at Squatters. And it's a bike build for the kids of Mary Jackson Elementary here in Salt Lake. Every kid's going to get a bike, I'm guessing, that wants one. And here to talk about with us, here to talk about it with us is Sarah, Sarah Levitt of Canned Aid, which is helping squatters put this together. Hi, Sarah Levitt. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. So tell us, what is Canned Aid and your relationship with squatters? Yeah, so Candidate is a national nonprofit. Um, we operate on the tagline, Feel by People Power. So we believe that everyone has the ability to give back and do good. But a lot of times people don't really know where to start. So we like to help facilitate that and do volunteer projects all over the U.S. Um, one of them is with Squatters. So there are partners who helped fund the project and are also hosting it at their brewery. So we'll be building 60 bicycles for local first graders at Jackson Elementary School. Oh, wow. Rashawn. I have a, so, so are you guys, like, are you in the bike community? Are you bike mechanics? I mean, how can the community help out? Because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of pressure to come out there, you know, to make sure they're taking care of the first graders. But you, you don't want pedals and wheels falling off. So what's the, what's the need? So I always say if you've put together Ikea furniture, you can put together one of these bicycles. And even if you haven't put together Ikea furniture, we'll help you through the process. We've got people, we have volunteers signed up that are actually bike mechanics that do the quality control. So they'll make sure that things are looking top notch before we get a kid on the bike. So what kind of bikes are these? They're, um, they actually have Candade branding on them. We have a partner named Kent Bicycles that helps manufacture large quantities of them for us. Um, and they're pretty slick. They're cherry red. Um, all the kids seem to really like them. So this is May 12th at Squatters Pub downtown, the original on 3rd South between uh, West Temple and 2nd West. And people do need to sign up. There are some volunteer yep. shifts. And I'm guessing yep. if you just want to sit on a bar stool and offer uh, encouragement while you throw back a pint, that can happen too, right? Totally. I mean, there's even just like breaking down boxes, helping load bikes into the U-Haul. There's something for people. If you're afraid to pick up a tool, we'll put you to work. Now, or can- you can just watch and drink beer. There you go. <laughs> so Canned Aid works in the craft beer uh, sector, right? Yeah, we have a lot of good friends, I'd say, in the craft beer industry. Um, we were talking before the show, we actually partner with several breweries to can water and distribute it to communities after natural disasters. So, so that's, as well. you're out of Colorado, but you work with breweries like Squatters here in our own state. That's some great community partnerships happening there. So thank you so much. Um, you have a Trails and Treads program. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, so this the bike project falls underneath that. Um, We really are working to get kids outdoors and active. Um, Kids average an average of average seven hours a day off on screens and only get only one in five kids get 30 minutes of active play a day. So we're just really trying to combat that and get kids playing outside, having fun and being healthy. Well, Rashawn, this is the first one I've heard of, but it sounds like a model and maybe something KRCL could do Uh, later in the summer or fall. I love that. <laughs> okay. Well, Rashawn, you're the bike master on the radio oh, on the radioactive no. team. So I think you have an assignment now. I definitely I definitely have a take take an action item to take home with and make sure that we uh we get in the bike game. We'll put we links 
We'll put links in the show notes for folks to track this event, which is on May 12th at Squatters. But what's the website for Candid if folks want to get involved? Uh, it's just Candid.org. So C-A-N-D-A-I-D.org. Hey, thanks so much, Sarah Levitt. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. So, Rashawn, I think we got to pull something from the cantina to get us into the oh, panel. Oh, yes. All right. Okay, here's the original Lapti Neck from a Jabba the Hutt scene. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's cut to Weird Al and the saga begins on KRCL 90.9. A long, long time ago In a galaxy far away Naboo was under an attack and I thought me and Qui-Gon Jinn could talk the Federation into maybe cutting them a little slack. But their response, it didn't thrill us. They locked the doors and tried to kill us. We escaped from that gas, then met Jar Jar and Boss Nass. We took a bongo from the scene and we went to feed to see the Queen. We all wound up on tattooing. That's where we found this boy. Oh my, my, this here Anakin guy. Maybe Vader someday later. Now he's just a small fry. And he left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye. Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Did you know this junkyard slave Isn't even old enough to shave But he can use the force, they say uh, Do you see him hitting on the queen Though he's just nine and she's fourteen Yeah, he's probably gonna marry her someday Hi, this is Vern Waters from the Candy Library, the West Jordan branch, with three quick picks for Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. First, let's do some numbers. 1,938. That's how many Star Wars-related items we have in the library catalog as of last Saturday. 213. That's sound recordings, including soundtracks and books on CD, radio plays, things like that. 86. Art of Star Wars books. 71 Lego Star Wars items, 61 different DVDs, 10 Star Wars cookbooks, and seven craft books related to the phenomenon. Next, what if Darth Vader took an active role in raising his kids? What if Luke, I am your father, was just a stern admonishment from an annoyed dad? In these hilarious and sweet comic reimaginings, Darth Vader is a dad like any other, except with all the baggage of being the Dark Lord of the Sith. Celebrated artist Jeffrey Brown's delightful illustrations give classic Star Wars moments a fresh twist, presenting the trials and joys of parenting through the lens of a galaxy far, far away. Life lessons include lightsaber batting practice, using the force to raid the cookie jar, take your child to work day on the Death Star. These and more can be found in Jeffrey Brown's graphic novels, including Darth Vader and Son, Vader's Little Princess, Ray and Pals, Good Night Darth Vader, and Darth Vader and friends. Er, he looks just like you, Lord Vader. Then, in I Find Your Lack of Faith Disturbing, Star Wars and the Triumph of Geek Culture, A.D. Jameson takes geeks and non-geeks alike on a surprising and insightful journey through the science fiction, fantasy, and superhero franchises that now dominate pop culture. Walking us through the rise of geekdom from its underground origins to the top of the box office and bestseller lists, Jameson takes on various franchises, in particular Star Wars, as well as phenomena like fan fiction, cosplay, and YouTube parodies. A lifelong geek, Jameson shines a new light on beloved classics, explaining the enormous love 
and hate they are capable of inspiring while exploding misconceptions about how and why they were made. I find your lack of faith disturbing tells the story of how the geeks have inherited the earth. And lastly, they gave him their love, their money, and their online parodies. He gave them the prequels. The passion the original Star Wars trilogy inspires in its fans is unparalleled. But when it comes to George Lucas himself, many have found their ardor has cooled into a complicated love-hate relationship. This hilarious and heartfelt documentary delves deep into Lucas's cultural legacy. It's The People versus George Lucas, an Exhibit A DVD biography written and directed by Alexander O. Philippe. All my picks are available for checkout or download from the Candy Library. Visit thecandylibrary.org to place a hold today. I'm Vern Waters with three quick picks related to May the 4th from the Candy Library. And there's your Star Wars Day picks. Rishon, I want the 10 Star Wars cookbooks. That's oh, yeah. Like, I, you know, when I was listening to it, all I could think of was Darth Vader actually being a dad and going through some of the dad struggles that or parent struggles that we all go through. And I I could just imagine myself using the force to put my kids in the room and then close the door behind them. Like I just the things I could do as a parent with some of the, the some gifts. Jedi mind tricks. Oh, <laughs> you will clean your room. But yeah, <laughs> these oh, are so the good. cleaning tools you see. <laughs> oh, the puns. Oh, the puns. Well, our panel's coming up next uh, right after this. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and all month long, KRCL brings you Mental Health Mondays with tips and resources from local experts. Join us for the month as we help raise awareness about mental health. Find a list of resources at krcl.org. Support for KRCL comes from the Joan Trumpauer Mulholland Foundation, ending racism through education. Films, books, and materials for the classroom and organizations are available online at jtmfoundation.org. Welcome back to Radioactive and Roundtable Tuesdays. I'm Rashawn Leak. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now!, Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, Connor's Late Night Lowdown starts at 10.30. All of our programming and the radioactive archives may be found online at krcl.org. All right, Rashawn, let's do this. Let's do a Star Wars Day panel. All right. So joining us for this May the 4th be with you Star Wars inspired panel, we have Utah writer Brian Young, host of the Full of Sith podcast, Becca Green, co-chairs Transgender Education Advocates of Utah, Eric Nelson, KRCL's very own and Star Wars aficionado, and Rachel Rear, teacher, writer, and actor out of Brooklyn, New York, originally from Jersey. Got to have How's a Jersey connection doing? on your show, Yeah, I got to throw that. You know, anytime <laughs> I can throw the Jersey love out there, I, I got to. Rashawn, technically, I'm originally from Staten Island. So uh, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> Oh, man. So first, I'd love to, you know, we had small bios on each of you, but there's so much more for Star Wars for each one of you. Hey, Becca Green, tell us about Star Wars and where it started for you and where you are today. So when I was very young, my grandma recorded the trilogy off TV and sent it to us. And so I watched those movies endlessly to the point that when I watch Return of the Jedi, there's a moment where Han and Chewbacca hug in Jabba's dungeon and my brain, as soon as that scene ends, I expect to see the Campbell's Soup Melting Snowman Christmas commercial because <laughs> I just watched those tapes until they wore out and I've been addicted to Star Wars ever since. You do something called the Star Wars Armada. I saw you post about it on social media recently. Yeah, so it's it's really dorky. It's a war game. It's kind of like, like Warhammer, if you're familiar with that. So you basically push... Um, I actually have the one my fiance bought this morning the ginormous i got to see that oh it's a model pretty bad eh? oh we're gonna have to get that in the show post you push it around a table and you roll dice and make pew pew noises and try to kill the other person i spend too much time and way too much money on it (laughs) (laughs) i love it all right so brian how did you get into Star Wars? I know you have the podcast, you've written books. How, like, where, where did your Star Wars journey begin? Uh, my, I was, uh, I was almost three years old, and my parents dragged me to see Return of the Jedi in the theater. And so, like, that's honestly my first memory. I don't have uh, a time in my brain that didn't have Star Wars in it, and it just sort of took over at that point. 
and, uh, you know, playing on the playground and trying to be a Star Wars nerd during the dark times after everybody would forgotten about Star Wars wasn't the easiest thing. So I was super excited for the the prequels to come out just after I'd come out of, of high school. And it was like Star Wars was back and I love those movies. And after that got into writing about it uh i started writing about it for like huffington post and big shiny robot um which is a a a geek news site that that originated here in salt lake city and then just started covering star wars as a journalist so that's taken me to meet all kinds of people in star wars and interview them on stage i got to do the um when fanex had carrie fisher out i did her interview on stage and that was that was pretty incredible. That's and, pretty cool. Um, is that the is that the pinnacle right there? Is that the apex of of your Star Wars journey, if you will? It, it you'd think it would be, but it was actually the time George Lucas heckled an interview I was doing and like interrupted <laughs> it and stopped it. That was the first time I met him. Um, what? That might okay, be going it, back, or, back, back up. Yeah. You gotta you gotta give us some context and that <laughs> life moment there. So it was uh, it was my first event covering uh, anything for Lucasfilm. They had asked me to come out to cover the season three premiere of The Clone Wars at the Presidio, which is the cool. home of ILM and, and Lucasfilm. And th- none of the press that were invited showed up except for me and a guy named Eric Goldman, who was at the time the head of like IGN. And so we basically got to talk to everybody. And this was, I was interviewing Seth Green and his partner, Matt Senreich from Robot Chicken on the step and repeat. And they had been in development with Star Wars Detours, which was a comedy show that Lucasfilm was producing, but hasn't come out yet. They produced an entire season of it, but it's just sort of been locked in the vault. But at the time, everybody was trying to get information about it. And I was asking them about it. I didn't even know George Lucas was at this event. And uh, I hear this voice over my shoulder going, don't listen to a word these guys say. And then you have Seth Green on stage with you. So oh. and then and then he turns to Seth Green and goes, don't tell this guy a thing. And it's George Lucas. And I lur- I look over my shoulder and I'm like, this this can't be happening. And he just starts making fun of Seth Green and me like he's never met me, but he's making fun of me. And uh, the interview pretty much ends there, as you can imagine. And then we ended up going into the theater to watch the episodes afterward because um, that's, you know, what, what we were there to do. And then George Lucas and Seth Green sat right behind me. And so George Lucas kind of gave a commentary of those episodes the entire time. And I was like, there's no way this day could get better. They're like this. How could I possibly top this? But I have to act professional. I can't nerd out or anything. And I'm literally backing away from ILM. Uh slowly hoping that I haven't screwed anything up when one of the publicists runs after me and goes, Hey, Brian, did you want to meet George? We'd like to introduce you. So then I have to wait for this line of kids. The screening was for the press and for like 200 kids from the local like YMCA or the, the boys and girls club. And so he's signing their lightsabers. And so as soon as all those kids filter out, they introduce me to him. And I'm not sure what I said, but I hope I didn't make a fool of myself. <laughs> Um, but no, that day was, I, I don't know. Like I've had a lot of good days like that too many, I I, more than I deserved. Oh my gosh. That is so funny. And Eric Nelson, I want to go to you next because you similar to, to Brian, uh, and, and Becky kind of don't remember a world without, without star Wars. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I born in the mid eighties and store star Wars has always been, Apart, my uncle was a huge sci-fi guy, so Star Trek, Star Wars, Planet of the Apes, that's what I grew up on. And ever since then, it has been, uh, it's been there. It's been a great reason to get together with friends. Um, I travel back to Michigan whenever there's a new movie to, to see the premiere. With your buddies. Now, oh, that's buddies, awesome. Yeah. Um, we haven't missed one. And it's, it, it's just fun. Now, with kids, it's just kind of, it's watching them and, and doing it all again in in a new light and it's it's just fun do you let them touch your action figures because folks can't see this but behind you are shelves of collectibles the the good stuff's up high they're they're (laughs) still kind of (laughs) small 
<laughs> and last but not least, Rachel, where where did your love and of uh, Star Wars begin? I, you know what? It's a pretty similar story. Um, I, I I was I just looked up the exact release date of Episode Four, and it was May twenty fifth, nineteen seventy seven. So that was five exactly five months after I was born. So I literally have never really existed, at least like uh, metacognitively without um, an awareness of Star Wars. And I remember being a kid in Staten Island and my best friend was a boy and we would play with the AT-ATs that he had. And I, I always thought they looked like elephants. And, and of course, this is when the custodian, I'm in my classroom and my custodian friend just came in. <laughs> your, your teacher, does, do you, are you bringing Star I Wars into the classroom? I, I, do, I used to, um, did you get a cease and desist letter or something? No. Well, <laughs> you uh, said I used to story. Well, uh, I have a philosophy unit. I teach eighth grade ELA. Um, I'm in my classroom right now and I have a philosophy unit at the end of the year. And, um, I do, I used to show them the star Wars trilogy at the end. I've replaced it with the matrix. Um, we read it side by side with the allegory of the cave, but you know, we, we delve into um, definitely the philosophy of, um, sci-fi and things like that. But I think Rashawn and I might have seen F- Phantom Menace together. I yep. maybe yeah, we're both maybe. living in New yeah. Brunswick, New Jersey. And, uh, yeah, that I just, for me, it also, it kind of intersects with my, uh, nerdy love of Joseph Campbell. Um, and I, I'm a big Joseph Campbell, power of myth, uh, comparative mythology kind of nerd. Um, and like I wrote my MFA thesis on the poet Anne Carson and like how she draws on and sort of if I'm, if I, if, there, if there's a theme for what I want to think and talk about today myself, it's like uh, pluralism and um, the dangers of a single story. And that kind of um, idea that when we draw from multiple mythologies where we can create a new one, you know, Joseph Campbell thought, well, obviously George Lucas was inspired by Joseph Campbell and Joseph Campbell thought that Star Wars was like the great American myth. So they were so intertwined, you know? So um, yeah, for me, it's kind of that. And, and uh, I, I do love uh, sharing, like I was wearing my Star Wars shirt all day. So I knew which of my students were nerds because they were <laughs> me correctly as I walked into the class. Give you that nod that had to, well, that's kind of, uh-huh. that's kind of what I want to go into. I mean, Brian has uh, been on the show before where we've talked about the theology, the ethics of Star Wars. So I'd love to take, take your lead there, Rachel, and, and talk about it. Tell us a little bit oh, more, God. especially how it lands, how it lands with eighth graders. Cause if you come straight on at eighth graders, let's talk about theology, ethics, brotherhood of man, fatherhood of God. They're like, what? But you talk Star Wars and the matrix. It's an, it's a way into those deep conversations. Sure. And I think when Rashawn and I were ta- or messaging last week a little bit, I was, uh, it had to do, I think the reason Rashawn mostly invited me on here was a post that I put on, on um, Facebook last week that basically was like, I mean, I don't know if you want me to read, but it's very long. But yeah, well, go um, ahead. Summarize it, whatever you want. I'll try, but it was like, I don't, it was copied from a friend, but it was like, X-Men is about civil rights. If you didn't get that, you didn't get X-Men. Black Panther is about colonization. If you didn't get that, you didn't get Black Panther. And then it says um, about Star Wars, the empire in Star Wars is fascist. The Rebel Alliance are anti-fascist. If you didn't get that, you didn't get Star Wars. And it goes on and on about all these different sort of nerd culture favorites. And then it says at the end, if you consider yourself a fan of these things, but you still think the LGBTQ plus community is too in your face, or you have a problem with Black Lives Matter, or you want to take the country back from immigrants, then you're not not really a fan at all. Geek culture isn't suddenly left wing. It always was. You just grew up to be intolerant. You became the villain in the stories you used to love. So I really love the last line. Oh yeah. (laughs) The last line like sort of brought it home. You became the villain because it got me thinking about, um, uh the hero's journey and i don't know one of the things i i was saying to rashawn or maybe i thought it in my head i don't remember um was that people who you know insist that star wars is a universe that belongs to white dudes um haven't gone haven't experienced the night of the dark soul right like which is the hero's journey reference so it's like maybe they only thought it was, I don't know. It was like they missed something, right? And That inner journey that sometimes yeah. doesn't translate yeah. onto the screen. 
Yes, and, and and that I actually think that I, you know, when we're reading a hero's journey, and hero's journey comes up a lot for me because I teach my students about archetypes and those kinds of things. But um, when we're reading a hero's journey, obviously we're on their path with them, you know, and being asked to consider the same things they're being asked to consider. So it just makes me wonder, like, were you not, did, did you not realize you were on a hero's journey when you were watching Star Wars? Because you just so obviously were anyway. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great call out, Rachel. And that's, and that's something that I always have loved about a lot of the, the sci-fi and, you know, if you will, geek culture, it's, you know, it's, I, I don't want to say it's in the eyes of the beholder because it's not, it, it's, it's something that is really there. If you look into it, it's not very, it's not very deep. It's pretty out, out, out forward. Just say like, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, like if you're looking at, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to put it, but, but one of the things I, I would ask Brian for you just to go over, have you always saw that parallel or when did you start seeing that this was a lot deeper than just surface? Um, you know, it, it was, there were two moments in my life that made me realize it. Uh, the first was, um, I grew up in a house where, uh, I was physically and ver verbally abused by my dad and, um, the power and return of the Jedi of Vader or Luke confronting his father and taking his helmet off and sort of finding and peeling away those layers of compassion within were things that were very powerful for me as a little kid, but I really didn't know how to connect that. And then um, it, it came, I was probably 12 or 13 when I was flipping through stations and it was the Bill Moyers, Joseph Campbell power of myth uh, program that came on. And I just stopped because there was a shot of the death star trench sequence and then I was like, wait, this isn't actually Star Wars. It's people talking about Star Wars and like going through that that measured analysis of it. And that's really when I realized that, that there was something bigger about Star Wars and there was something more important about stories in general that I, I really wasn't aware of or able to perceive. And that's when I was able to start connecting those dots and peeling those layers back, um, not just on Star Wars, but in stories in, in, in general. And, and Star Wars was really powerful for that. And that's part of why... Um, for the longest time uh, since 2012, almost 10 years now, I guess, uh, for StarWars.com and then now for SlashFilm, um, I really love writing stories about how uh, Star Wars was influenced by other things and how George Lucas or any of the other filmmakers um, behind Star Wars or storytellers behind Star Wars have drawn on so many other storytellers and storytelling traditions to create star wars and um that hasn't stopped right like even just um even just the new uh, show that premiered today the bad batch there's so much in there there's so much hero's journey in there but also other classic films like uh the dirty dozen and uh you know the a-team is present in there so it's it's like there's always something and i find that fascinating tracking the um the influence and how the lenses of those influences are portrayed as you um, redefine them with through art or through pop culture. And Star Wars is just a really great place to study that. Yeah, I love it. Becca, I want to bring the conversation over to you. As a transgender education advocate, has there been some, some pathways you've been able to bridge using some of the concepts that have been provided in Star Wars? Um. You know, I, that's a big question because those yeah, are like the yeah. two biggest things in my whole life. Um, and I think in some ways I'm able, I, I, I tweet about Star Wars a lot. I, I write about this war game that I do. And so I often encounter people first that way. And then they find out that I'm trans after the fact. And I think that's really helpful because people have all these misconceptions or fears about what a trans person is or that they're, you know, a monster or whatever. Um, and then you're like talking to someone about your, your favorite Star Wars movie for three hours and then you find out they're trans and it's like, oh, well, I guess that wasn't really a big deal. What was I so afraid of? Um, so that helps a lot. And then, you know, there's a couple of arcs in Star Wars itself that really speak to me as a trans person. You know, one line in particular, when Yoda is talking to Luke on Dagobah, he says, uh, you know, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Um, and I took my estrogen shot yesterday, so I'm just going to cry right now and probably <laughs> for the rest of the panel. Um, but like <sighs> someone who feels like a prisoner in their body at times, mm. you know, that's something that speaks to me. Um, 
and I, I talk to people a lot about, I don't know if you've all seen Clone Wars, uh, but the very, the last few episodes of season five of that show involve Ahsoka Tano and she, she gets accused of something that she didn't do. And you have to remember that she was raised by the Jedi. Like she's essentially an orphan that like, these aren't just like her teachers, they're effectively her parents. Um, and they choose not to have her back and that goes very badly for her. And then there's a moment where everything comes full circle and she's you know cleared of any wrongdoing. Um, and the Jedi say, oh, our bad, welcome back. And I think that happens to trans people a lot where you come out and people in your life decide that they don't want you in your life anymore. And it's like this one thing has suddenly changed everything about how they view you. And then after some time, they come to terms with it and then they just come back to you. And instead of being like, oh, we screwed up or I apologize, they're just like, oh, welcome back to you know the family, the social circle, the career on our terms. And, you know, I'm not a contrarian, but I think so many people fall for that trap of just making them small, self-small to fit back into other people's expectations. But what I love about Ahsoka and about that arc in Clone Wars is she makes a dramatically different choice in it. I, I can just see that last scene. And like I said, I'm just going to cry. So I'm okay. done for a minute. Uh, and now let's add Eric Nelson back into the conversation. KRCL's volunteer coordinator, but whenever I have a Star Wars question I need to iron out, I go to Eric and he usually has a collectible to, to demonstrate with. But as you said, you've got kids and it's a new way for you to see Star Wars. And you just heard what Becca and Brian and, and Rachel were talking about the things that they've learned and utilized either personally or professionally. And I'm kind of curious what lessons you've drawn from Star Wars or hope your kids glean as you share it with them, Eric. Yeah, no, it, it's just been, but we're, we're working our way through the Clone Wars right now. So we're, if he gets the schoolwork done... We get to watch a Clone War, ah. um, so so it's a lot of a lot of that, and just asking. He's got so many questions about storylines, which is fun to talk through those things. And there's some very heavy stuff in the Clone Wars. Talking with a seven year old, so trying to figure out how to frame it to a seven year old, but he's asking the the right questions, which is great. Um, and uh, the other big one that I've been doing um, with my son is just Star Wars in the creative realm, um, drawing pictures, making little stop motion movies, um, handwriting, all the good stuff um, and just storytelling. And the big one we, we, we poke at a lot is special effects and just how you do this and how you do that. And that's not real. Uh, and and just it's just fun to have those conversations and try to trying to figure those things out with with the seven year old. That's pretty cool, Eric. You're listening to ninety point nine KRCL. This is the Star Wars May the Fourth Be With You edition with Brian Young, Eric Nelson, Rachel Rear, and Becca Green. We've been talking kind of about the hero's journey and the villains. And uh, early in the show, I was talking about the shortcomings of sci-fi. The history of sci-fi is. Um, I can't remember who was saying it, that Star Wars isn't just about white dudes. Oh, Rachel, you were saying Rachel that. Rachel said, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of want to talk about the shortcomings, but the the way sci-fi is now addressing those shortcomings. And, and uh, uh, Brian, let's start with you, because you write a lot about this, you blog a lot about this, you report a lot about this. And I'm kind of curious how you've dealt with that over the last, you know, couple of decades as that hero's journey and... Uh, the shortcomings of um, marginalization of other cultures or women or LGBTQ uh, and how the, the industry, the fantasy industry is, has come to grips with it and dealt with it, Brian. Um, it's been interesting. I mean, this is something that, that um, Star Wars has been going through since its very inception, right? Uh, Carl Sagan quite famously called out George Lucas right after a new hope saying like, it was a really fun movie, but, but where are like, why is everybody white? And, you know, that was part, you know, George Lucas tried to internalize that and say, well, how can I address this? And he started bringing in, um, you know, he brought in Billy D. Williams to be Lando Calrissian, which definitely today would not be enough, but in 1980 was a huge thing. And there were people who were upset about it then um, in the prequels, George Lucas tried to bring in more women, um, 
I believe uh, it's one of the prequel movies has the most amount of speaking parts for women in any of the star Wars movies. Um, And uh, it's, it's interesting. I know, I know some people sort of rebelled against the prequels and didn't really respond to them as much as, as I did, but I talked to so many women who felt so empowered by the handmaidens and the strength of Padme, even uh, despite her, despite her ending, um, and and that was something that was sort of addressed. But again, I, I think we'd look at the prequels and still say like, eh, there's still some some problematic elements to that. Like there is anything made before, you know, 2010. Um, and then the sequel trilogy really tried to step forward with that or even Clone Wars. We could talk about Clone Wars and, and centering Ahsoka Tano. Um, and that was, again, another step forward. And then you've got the sequel trilogy. And it was really disheartening to see people upset that there was going to be you know, someone like John Boyega, a black person being a stormtrooper. And there was, uh, you know, there were problems that that were seen that way. It got worse for The Last Jedi. And I, I'll make no no bones about the fact that simply liking that movie because of how uh, it was centering a, a woman in, in the lead uh, about how Luke was not uh, their sort of... Uh, power fantasy expectation of what they thought Luke would be and uh, you know, centering an Asian woman as well uh, just for liking the movie that you would, you would receive abuse for that. And I've certainly been on the receiving end of that quite a bit, Um, but they've made these strides in this evolution and you can track that evolution because I think science fiction writers um, you know, Kurt Vonnegut would say that writers generally are, are very sensitive and they're the canaries in the coal mine for society. And you can see that evolution sort of coming up ahead of where society is at, where we're trying to show people, generally science fiction writers are trying to show people what that next step that we're going to need to take is. And I think Star Wars is a really great um, you know, the way you'd look at the, the lines of sediment in rocks in an archaeological dig, uh, Star Wars can be that for science fiction. Nice. I want to bring it to Rachel. Uh, do you think The Last Jedi did enough to push us forward? You know, I mean, we have we have a female lead. We have a almost, you know, quote unquote, like like a love love relationship between a black male and a, and a female. Like, is that enough? And 20 when did it come out? 20. 2018, 2019, 2018, 18. There's so many things swimming around my head right now. Um, I no, I guess not. I, I, I am personally more excited about, I, it's so weird for me to say I'm excited. I'm excited about, and then the word Disney in the same sentence for me, but, um, (laughs) I love the Mandalorian and I feel like that's actually the direction and Okay, guys, stop right there because you can't talk about the Mandalorian without talking about Gina Carano. Yes, mm. of course. So Gina Carano, actress on our social yeah, media. I actually, I mean I I read I was I was nervous to be on the radio today. So I was like I went down a wormhole of research and I like printed and highlighted a whole bunch of stuff. I but, love it. I um, love it. Really, I went into I went down such a wormhole that I found an article that was called uh, you know, hold on, uh, and Palpatine is actually Ray's grandmother according to science. Because, Whoa. <laughs> but wait, well, so the question? Oh, Gina. Carano. Gina Carano yeah. on social media, the actress. She's I, no longer on this project. That was like um, saying that actually the canceling of Gina Carano proves that cancel culture doesn't exist. Because her opinions were known for a very long time, and she was able to, to, to you know, like she was on the show. Like cancel culture is not a real thing. And in fact, I, I forget exactly what she's got going on, but she has something like a podcast. She has she's creating some, she has some some product that she's putting out now, and it's like clearly she wasn't canceled, you know. Um, so I'm like, I, I don't. I loved her character. I did before I knew who she was because character is a badass. So I would like to just let her go and be in the wind. Like there's that. there's where the reality and the fantasy clash mm-hmm. and the shortcomings of us humans in our current state can get in the way of of the story or what the filmmakers are trying to do to, as Brian was saying, 
take us to that next step as a society? I did not know about the controversy surrounding her. Um, somehow I was in the dark about it. And then a friend of mine told me, yeah, you should look her up like halfway through season two. And then I was like, oh man. Um, but I did also want to speak about the idea of genre. Like Brian was just talking about the, the concept of genre being a place where people can begin to explore what's necessary. Like it's almost like the genre becomes aware of itself. And uh, I'm, I'm a true crime writer. So um, I, I, I'm familiar with like this idea of like, how do we, how do we operate within the confines of like a pretty established genre to outgrow the genre itself? You know, so I think that is an interesting idea too. And this, I did find this really great article about the Mandalorian and it's like, here's this quote that I loved. Um, right after they talk about like the, the four kick-ass women scene and then make a, a, con a connection to the s similar scene and in, in the Avengers Endgame with like the, you mm -hmm. know, a feminist collective, um, but arguing that in the Mandalorian, it was more earned because they sort of separately arrived in this location. Um, then this writer says, and the article is, um, I think it's from, it's from Pop Matters, whatever that is, it's by a guy named Ryan Pohl. Um, and it says, the point I want to emphasize though is not, not that the Mandalorian is a feminist allegory, rather I am addressing how the show is an allegory for thinking about popular culture beyond the tired, reductive and damaging discourses that assess popular culture through a political binary, discourses that dismiss franchise movies as either too liberal or too conservative or too politically correct. Um, which goes back to, I guess, what I was talking about at the beginning, um, the importance of a multitude of perspectives and a multitude of stories in representing an entire truth that you can't only tell one story. So is is that well, then I guess that are we putting too much stock in expecting writers and movie producers to solve society's problems? Can I jump in on that? Becca, yes, please, Becca, Becca Green, T of Utah. There's a quote I love and I wish I could remember who said it, but it's you can't you can't be something if you can't see that something. So like, I didn't hear the word transgender in, until my late teens. Mm -hmm. And like, if any adult at any point in my life would have just said to me the words, trans people exist and you can be trans and happy, it would have literally changed everything about my life. And so like, I think people get lost in the weeds in this idea that we have this really, for better and worse, like this really ideological purism, like we treat politics like the Super Bowl and you know our side has to win and it's everything is on one side of this line and it's not I'm not trying to say that like do a moral relativism thing and say that nobody's right but like the world exists as it is and when you choose when you say like oh let's not get political or don't bring politics into you know like going back to Gina Carano like you know, there's a lot of people who who framed that as like oh she had these political opinions well that's I mean anti-Semitism is not political if you're Jewish. Like transphobia is not political if you're trans. Like you don't wake up and make a choice to be one of those things. I mean, I guess you can convert to Judaism. I'm not the expert on that. My point is like people who have privilege feel like they can opt out of politics whenever they want to. And, you know, for someone like me, it's like literally sometimes using a public bathroom becomes a terrifying and dangerous experience for me because of the politics of the situation. And so like the stories we tell inform so much about who we are and who we see ourselves to be. Like I wanted to be Princess Leia and Queen Amidala way, way, way before I knew it was okay for me to be a girl. Like I just, I, and I, I didn't have the words for that. Um, and I think about like, you know, Chuck Wendig got a lot of flack for including LGBTQ folks in his Aftermath trilogy. But I remember distinctly like, there's a moment where it's just like a throwaway vignette about this pirate captain who's using new neo pronouns like Z and Zer. And like, I was listening on the audiobook, and I literally like stopped and parked my car and pulled up the text of the ebook to make sure that I was hearing it. I was like, Oh, is that just a weird accent? Cause it was kind of like a very outlandish character. And like, just that would have saved my life as like a five-year-old. Like, I don't want to get into it, but for context, like I was a heroin addict. Like I tried to kill myself. Like I came as close as you can get to just dropping out of life. And a lot of the people in my situation who have less privilege than me died or went to jail or are still addicted and are, are in these places. 
And I, I know it sounds to people who haven't experienced this, I know it sounds overdramatic or like I'm trying to conflate something very simple with something very large. But like when I grew up, the only frame of reference I had were was crap on Jerry Springer or the ugly stepsister on Shrek. Like I remember distinctly um, finishing the movie Shrek and my bishop's wife turning to me and saying, oh, that movie had all three kinds of perversions in it, gay people, cross-dressers and transsexuals. Yeah. Well, you know, what I think is interesting is we're talking about fantasy, what our imagination or lack thereof of, yep. can can create. When I look at sci-fi like The Expanse is my favorite show right now, um, they imagine what language has evolved into in the future and the dialect that may have evolved out of Earthlings going out into space, the Belters and then to Mars and on and on. And and that's, I, that's okay. why. What? Okay. Yes, yes. And I and I I love that because to put us into the future, into uh multi-species settings, and to think that we're talking like we are here in 2021 is such a lack of imagination, Becca. I I tell Brian. people that like um everything, every choice a storyteller makes is political, whether whether they realize it or not. And that when you imagine a future that doesn't have any people of color, it doesn't have any marginalized folks, it means that there was some genocide that happened in the pre present day that they're commenting on whether they realize that or not. So I, I think it's disingenuous for folks to say like, oh, you need to leave politics out of my science fiction or you need to leave politics out of my fantasy because there's politics and everything. And even like like Becca said, those of us with with just mountains of privilege saying, oh, it's not political, I'm just going to stay not political is is privilege and it is a political statement. I want to come back to Eric here as we wrap up and talk about the next generation of Star Wars fans. And OK, we just talked about all this heavy stuff. And I'm as a dad, as a parent, you're trying to, you know, help your kid come into the world with, I'm guessing, a wide worldview and um, Star Wars and other sci-fi can help you make some concepts that are pretty meaty, um, pretty simple for your kids. And I'm just kind of curious if you've had any conversations with your kids that kind of lead you to to that um, that space where maybe it's a little uncomfortable. I don't know. And how you handle it. Yeah, there there was Clone Wars is just there's so many things to draw from that series um, but there's uh, a section where uh, a bad guy um, will not take the hand of a Jedi and he falls and kills himself in the lava. And my seven-year-old says, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he ask for, why wouldn't he take his hand? Why wouldn't he ask for help? And that, the word sacrifice came up and it, and it was just very like, it was a hard one to talk through, like to, to figure out how to frame that, why someone wouldn't ask for help and, and, and reach out when they were in trouble. So that's kind of where we went. Like, it's okay to always ask for help, even if you don't agree with, with the, uh, the good guy on the other side. If you need help, ask for help and, and reach out. Um, Right. And I, as, as a parent, I want to jump in with Eric and just say, I think there's a lot of lot of opportunity and a lot of lot of opportunity to be had, even even with, you know, the the so quote, quote unquote, good guys, you know, mm -hmm. because the good guys aren't always as good as you need them to be. But they're yep. but as a parent, there are lessons that can be taught about how how you would show up in this moment and how what what did you you know, like you hit the pause button. And what do you think should have happened here? If you if you could rewritten re a script or things like that. So so that's the beauty of of you know bringing up the future the future sci-fi culture, if you will. It's it's the opportunity to really like plant a seed and water it at the same time. Yeah. Well, that is our time, you guys, and I'd love to hear from everybody, Rashawn, on how to catch up with them because everybody's got something online somewhere. Right. Yeah. So let's start with you, Brian. Brian, how do how do our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Swankmotron or at Swankmotron.com. Uh, or you can just look up Brian Young and you'll find me in the books I write and articles I write and stuff that way. Brian with a Y. Brian with a Y. Vecca. 
Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Word of Green. Um, I don't recommend it. I'm kind of a lot, but it's there. <laughs> Love it. We recommend it, Becca. Yes, we absolutely recommend it. Uh, Rachel, what about you? And tell us, give us a little bit about your book. Um, I have a book coming out in February 2022 from Bloomsbury. Um, it's called Catch the Sparrow. It is about, it is a true crime slash memoir about the murder of my stepsister who I didn't know but who I never met, but I grew up in the shadow of her murder. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's Ray Rear, R-A-E-R-E-A-R. So you know I was super psyched when there was a Ray in the Star Wars franchise. I was like, it's me. <laughs> Not that she, she spelled it wrong, though. Um, and I also have a poor, poorly constructed website, www.rachelrear.com. But Twitter is probably the best place. Nice. And Eric Nelson... People can catch up with you to volunteer at KRCL. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> sometime in the future. <laughs> we're going to get back to that, folks. But uh, we're getting there. We're getting, we're getting there. there. Eric, Damn. Becca, Brian, Rachel, this was fun, Rashawn. This what, was. So on the other side, uh, let's do our little reflection that you and Tamrika usually do. What'd oh, you yeah. think? I I enjoyed it. I you know I mean it's it, it it's always fun to get to you know talk about you know Star Wars and talk about how it intersects and. And, and life and the things that really, you know, that we're all passionate about, you know, so and it's fun to get people who are really knowledgeable and, and Star Wars to just sit back, ask questions and let them let them take up, you know, but I also want to this one's for Becca and, and for all all of my transgender people out there. We see you. We hear you. We love you. There, there is a space for you always. And, and just just let you know, because I know. Sometimes being BIPOC, sometimes, you know, you feel you, you sometimes you just want to you, you want to be invisible, you know, sometimes. But then sometimes when it's it's time to be heard, you want to be appreciated for who you are and, and what you bring to the table. And I just want to let you know there's I can't speak for everybody else as far as radio stations, but KRCL, you have a home here. Absolutely. And tip of the hat to Sue Robbins there. Absolutely. Her too. sign off when she was host of the Monday show. So yeah, thanks everybody. This was tons yeah. of fun. I love using thanks allegory and fiction to talk mm -hmm. about these things. And and Ray, you so gotta write a book Campbell, about that. Some, some <laughs> of my undergrad work. Thank Brian for uh, helping me think about this, the helmet scene differently. I always see it like, I don't know, you kind of blew my mind by saying it has to do with peeling away layers of compassion. I always teach my students like, no, that means that that you are your own shadow and that you are your own villain, which is another way that I interpret it. But like to think, I don't know, it's really, I, it was beautiful. To See, we could it. go on for hours. Oh I, I didn't even get to like, I wanted to, Brian's got something on his, I want to say your website. And it was talking about the Charlie Chaplin. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jar Jar Binks. Like, I, you know, we're. Woo, or is Jar Jar Binks a Sith Lord? Like, you know, there's so much we can go, but that's, but I, I you know, it's, it's, it was fun. It's always a fun conversation to nerd out. And that's our show, Laura. Thank you so much for uh, so much fun holding down the seat for Tamrika. <laughs> I know that next week you guys have a conversation planned about housing and homelessness and what's going on in our local economy. So I'm excited to have the two of you lead that discussion next week. It was fun partnering with you. It felt like my, my, uh, pre pre uh, host days when i was just just a volunteer looking for a spot <laughs> and congratulations you're now formally a member of the board oh yeah that's right look at me go i don't know i don't know what y'all were thinking but you're in trouble now i can't get rid of me now laura <laughs> radioactive is a production of listeners community radio of utah i'm rashawn leak until our next show keep an open mind and stay curious Thank you, Laura. Thanks, Rashawn. This was fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs>